Amen. Let's give a let's, can we give a little hand clap of praise for our worship team this morning? Amen. Amen. That really blesses my heart. I just want to thank you all for your sacrifice and your dedication. You know, all of y'all have done so much, you know, throughout the years, and it just really blesses me. God bless y'all. And I know he does. All right. Listen, y'all, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 103. We're going to be in Psalm 103. So if you, you've got your Bible with you, your Bible app or whatever you got, um, open it up to Psalm 103. We're going to start in verse 1. And uh, God, we, we, we love you, Lord. We, we, we come before you, Lord, to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord. And, and we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes this morning, God, to see to see, Lord, what you have in store for us. God, help us, Lord, refine us, refine us, Lord, by the fire. Refine us, Lord, with your heavenly fire, that righteousness, Lord, within us, to lead us and guide us into everything true. God, with that spirit, Lord, your Holy Spirit, Lord, please, Lord, lead us. Help me, God, to speak the truth this morning, Lord, and help us with ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts to believe the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 103. When you there, say amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, <clears throat> sorry. Verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, I want you to turn your eyes to his benefits. Bless the Lord. Everything that you are, bless the Lord with everything that you are. Oh, my soul, the psalmist says. Listen to his benefits. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Now, is that a benefit, church? Are those benefits? Amen. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now in verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. You are crowned with this, church. Believer, you are crowned with this. Christian, you are crowned with this. It is not something you have to attain to. It's not something you have to work for. It's something you are given by the grace of God. Praise be his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, who redeems your life from the pit, verse 4, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. How many of you want that one this morning, church? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Amen. That's something we need in this world, isn't it? He made known his ways to Moses. <clears throat> His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, thanks be to God, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Bless the Lord, O my soul, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. Mm. As far as the east is from the west, 
So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Amen. Amen. For he knows our frame. He knows our frame. And he remembers that we are dust. Isn't this a wonderful, wonderful reminder this morning? Isn't this a shot of hope in the darkness of this world? Isn't this that light at the end of the tunnel where we can see and it's it's creeping in, it's peeking in? This world can seem dark. And this world, honestly, it, it is dark. The world is. But with the light of God, we can still make our way through it. Because he is our light. I love this last verse. He, he, he knows our frame. In other words, he knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. He knows what you deal with. He knows the help that you need. Because he remembers that we are dust. He remembers how we were made. He remembers where we came from. After all, he's the one that made us. Praise the Lord for his gracefulness. The Lord is full of grace. And without his grace... And without this grace, we would remain dead in our sins. It is only because of God and his forgiveness, because of his grace, that we are even allowed into his presence and allowed to walk through this world. Without this grace, again, we would remain dead in our sins. Our sins would engulf us like a burning flame of unquenchable desire. But the grace of God is that he would pay the penalty for the sins that we committed, and then through faith in his son Jesus, we would be saved by that same grace and forgiven and granted access, given given over into the eternal kingdom of God. We would be saved by that same grace that didn't want us to die, and we are partakers and direct beneficiaries of his grace, church. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, the psalmist is telling us that God is a compassionate, gracious healer. Healer that will not harbor his anger and not always accuse like the enemy and the world accuse. Now, it tells us that for those who believe, he will forgive our sins and he will not punish us as we deserve. Now, is that, is that like a, a praise for anybody here this morning? I know it is for me. When I read this, I'm like, woo, I need it I, because I need it. I need that. I need that thankfulness in my heart to, to cheer on the God of, of this world uh, or the God of all creation that created this world so that we could live in it and then so that we could be wrapped up into his grace forever. It tells us that he will forgive us, that he will not punish us as we deserve, and that this is different than the world. Because the world wants to punish, the world wants to condemn, and the world wants you to know that you're guilty. The world wants to cancel you. The world condemns the guilty, and in the case of Jesus Christ, we know that the world even condemns the innocent, doesn't it? But the Lord will set us free by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now the Lord lights a burning fire of a different kind in us, the world wants to condemn and throw into the fire all who, do, who don't do according to the desires of the world. 
If you don't follow along like they want you to follow along, then you're guilty and you've been condemned. The world wants for Christianity to die off in our lives and be erased from its sight. It wants us in the rear view. It will take its best shot, the world, to eradicate our faith, little by little, step by step, until it get what, gets what it wants. But, but, praise be to God, that that will never happen. It will never happen. Because the world will not eradicate the faith of Christians in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're so strong? No, because our God is. Praise be to God, that will never happen. And for the Christian, our lives are filled with our faith. We are filled with our faith. God fills us with it. He made us to trust Him, even at our mother's breast. With the milk of our mother, He made us to trust Him, to depend on Him for that food that is nourishing, that spiritual food. He rained down manna from heaven for the Israelites during the 40 years in the wilderness, and He gave us the bread of life in Jesus Christ that we would never hunger again. This is our God who will feed. This is our God who prepares the food. And this is our God that makes us to trust Him for that sustenance day by day because our lives are filled with our faith. We don't compartmentalize our faith, do we? We don't put it into rooms. We don't put our faith into boxes. We aren't a different person from one conversation to the next in life. We in the church, we are always filled with the values of our faith. And we are filled to the full and even unto overflowing, as the psalmist says. We are filled to the full by our great God. Because our faith, it, 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 it engulfs us. It, it, this is who we become. We become His. We become like Him continuously over time, continuing to be changed from one moment of glory to the next. We are aware of the moments in life when we become complacent and steadfast. And I mean, I'm sorry, we, we, we become aware of the, the moments in life where we become complacent and we are not steadfast. And instead we are standing still with God. Instead of pressing into Him for His instruction and leading, we become complacent. But for Christians, we become aware of this, don't we? You know when you're, when you're standing still with God. You know when you're not being steadfast in the Word. You're, you know when you're not moving forward with God when you're just standing still. We are made aware by the promptings of the Holy Spirit within who lets us know when we're going wrong and when we've gone wrong. And then we rush in to correct it lest we be corrected by God Himself. Now, in 1 Corinthians 11, <coughs> excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 11, we, we get a stark reminder from the Lord through the Apostle Paul about the discipline of the Lord in the body. Now, he reminds us <clears throat> that if we do wrong and judge ourselves, then we do right. But if we don't, then we leave it up to God to discipline us in the body here in this life. And he puts this into perspective during his teaching on the Lord's Supper. Listen to this. <clears throat> Sorry, y'all, I got allergy problems. Now, 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. 
then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Church, we need to rush in. We need to rush in. And we need to press in to God and examine ourselves through prayer. Can I get an amen on that one, church? When we do this, then we are made blatantly aware of our own shortcomings. When you get alone with God, when you get into your secret place, into your quiet room, wherever that may be in life, uh, Glenn spoke a few weeks ago in, in, in our Thursday video, he, he spoke about that, getting alone with God, wherever that may be. I spoke with uh, uh, Kevin this past weekend, and we were talking, and he was telling me about his secret place and where he goes. And, 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 and some of us, it's different places, but it's somewhere where we can separate from the rest of the world, and we can bring our cares over to God and hand them over to Him, whether that's at the flats, whether that's you know in, in a room in your house, whether wherever that may be, to get alone with God. And when we do, we are made blatantly aware of our shortcomings, and then we're led right into con- uh, to, to confession as we converse with Him. And we are led right into repentance as we converse with Him. This is the Lord's way. Get alone with God and have Him tell you where you've gone wrong. And he will. I've talked with people over the years who, who've discussed with me how, how they want to improve the religious aspect of their lives. The religious aspect of their lives. They want to improve. That part of my life is lacking, they say. They want to work on the faith aspect of their life. I've asked folks uh, how their walk with Christ is as they've, as they've described struggles to me. And many times over they respond with, yeah, I mean, I really need to work on that area of my life. This sort of tells me a great deal about the state of the world and the shallow faith of American Christianity. Even if I didn't know the person very well that I was talking to, I I knew who they were. I know who they are in a way. A Christian should never feel that the spiritual aspect of one's life is simply an aspect of it. The spiritual aspect of your life is not just an area of your life. For the Christian, your faith is is your life it is not an area it is not an aspect it is not a part it is life this is compartmentalization this is putting faith in a box or dividing life up into rooms where faith is just one of the rooms and for that person the room of faith remains a closed door maybe cracked open but in reality closed until he or she decides to knock and seek and find that that door has been opened This is seen as a separation of faith and and family life, maybe. You know, maybe maybe your family life and your faith life, you know, maybe those things, you know, the different parts of life. It's not. It shouldn't be. Or maybe it's seen as a separation of of faith and work or faith and politics. And to think this way is to think as the world thinks that everything should remain separate. The world wants us to keep everything separate and react and think about everything separately from our relationship to God and His Word. But this is not God's way. It's not. With God, everything flows together. 
Everything flows together. Our life is one life, and all of our thoughts are done and considered through the lens of Scripture, as we spoke about last week when we were talking about the benefit and the profit of wisdom. This is what it means to have a Christian, biblical worldview, where we look at the world and everything in it through the lenses of the Scripture. The world places different kinds of value on different aspects of life. Some more important than others so that they can be different from one place to, from, to, the, to the next place. And maybe they're serious about school or education, but lacks about faith and church. Maybe they are serious about sports for their children, but lackadaisical about involvement with the church. And maybe they're serious about worth ethic, work ethic, but nonchalant about Christian ethic. If there is anything of real, true, ultimate value in one's life, church... It should be the spiritual life with Jesus Christ. That is ultimate truth. That is of of ultimate value. And we have to realize that our faith is what we are. It's who we are. All this to say that God cannot simply be an area of our lives, an aspect of our lives. He must be the center of of our lives. Everything in life must revolve around God and our relationship with Him. Our life with God needs to be a working relationship also. Cannot simply be head knowledge that puffs somebody up, but a working knowledge that comes from the transformed mind and heart of a believer in Christ. I remember one time specifically I spoke with somebody that I lived with back in Kerrville and He gave me the, I need to work on that area of my life answer when I was speaking with him. He was talking negatively about the church, but he wasn't part of a church. He wasn't living a faithful life. He was like a coal that was once burning amongst other coals, but after leaving his local body of believers because of whatever issue that he had, he became a coal smoldering off all by himself. The fire went out. And then he was trying to rekindle the fire with others by speaking negatively about the church, this church, that church. Oh, it's supposed to be like this. No, it's supposed to be like that. Dude ain't in church, has nothing to do with the faith, wants to draw people out of other churches to his side. But what he was doing was he was inviting others into a lackluster life of faith along with him. A coal set off to the side by itself will never retain the same kind of heat as a coal smoldering amongst other coals. Anybody ever had a barbecue pit, lit a fire in the fireplace, anything like that? The ones off by themselves, uh-uh, you got to push them further into the middle, don't you, so that those things can ignite and you can have a hotter fire, right? So we must be careful of others. Who want to take us out of the place where we can smolder with other believers. It's a tactic of the world, and there cannot be any mistake about that. Now, the fire of the Lord, though, is a different fire than the fire of the world, because the fire of the Lord purifies, doesn't it? We know about the refiner's fire, the purifying fire of God. It cleanses 
of impurities, and it helps us to become shiny and new. And by the very nature of purification, we become more valuable upon being purified by the fire of God. Because the iniquities, the, the, the impurities, the dross has been burned off and we become pure and more valuable. The Lord wants for us to know and then be reminded of the fact that when we take on the burden of the Lord and set out for the goal of being with Him once we pass on from this world, that we will be set free because there's a bondage that this world holds us with that seems invisible until it gets so hard to handle that we end up breaking down and collapsing because of the weight of it. Christian, if you try to carry and take on the burdens of your family, your work life, your, uh, your, your church life, everything that the world has to offer, everything that gets put out on social media, all the division and the politics of the world, if you take this burden upon yourself, you will collapse because of the weight of it. Your shoulders were not built to carry the burdens of this world. They can only be carried by Jesus Christ himself. He's the only one made to withstand the weight. But listen to what God says about his burden in Matthew 11. This is verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You see, when Jesus starts out this statement, it's geared toward freedom. It's geared toward freedom. We see the goal. Easy yoke, light burden. That's freedom. That's freedom, church. It's meant for those who are weary and burdened. So basically, it's meant for everyone. Anybody in here ever felt weary? Anybody in here ever been burdened with anything? Have you ever been in a struggle? Have you ever taken on too much? Have you ever felt like the weight of the world is on your shoulders? Let me tell you something. This one's for you. He then comes in with the goal. I will give you rest. Mm. So far to this point, the Sabbath was the day of rest for the people of Israel at that time. So this would also mean that Jesus is now our Sabbath rest. If our Sabbath rest is not on the Sabbath, if He says, I will give you rest, then that means the rest is in Him, then Jesus Christ Himself is our Sabbath rest. Mm. We come to Him for our rest. We don't simply wait for a day of the week to come along to do so, rest from all of our work of the week, All the work that the Israelites had to do from the beginning until then was a heavy burden and it had made them weary and Christ wanted to set them free from it. The Lord knew of the burden that they carried. 
They had failed to see the grace of the Lord in the law. They had failed to see the spiritual reality of the law that was built upon the grace of God who knew that they could not keep it. How do we know that? Well, let's go back to Psalm 103. Right? Right there at the end. What does it say? He knows that we are dust. He knew they couldn't keep it. He knows we can't keep it. But they tried, and they tried to keep it, and they worked and worked in order to be good enough to get to God after this life. They worked for forgiveness. They sacrificed for it. They didn't see that their sacrifices were an offering done in loving response to the grace of God to call them to Himself by name. They couldn't see that their sacrifices and laws were a compass by which to live so that they would be separated from the world and know the direction to God, separated out by God to smolder together in the fire of the Lord who purifies His own. But they saw every day that they could not keep the law. Every time they offered a sacrifice for their own sin, they were made blatantly aware, I can't keep the law. I can't hold to it perfectly. I can't live this life right all the time. They were admitting sin every time. And he was now telling them that they need only come to him to have that burden taken away forever and be freed and enter into his rest. What an amazing thing. Also, he's, he's not only talking to them, but who, 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 who else is he talking to? Who else is he talking to, church? Well, he's talking to us. He's talking to us. He's talking to us. He says all, not just the house of Israel. This was heavy as well, because as we know, according to the Pharisees, not everyone was supposed to be given a chance to be included in the final destination of the people of God. But everyone was... But everyone was, so long as they were called by the Father and they came to, to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, verse 29 and 30, listen to this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is a yoke? I want to read what, what, what Merriam-Webster defines it as. Yoke. Two-part definition. A, a wooden bar or frame by which two draft animals as oxen are joined at the heads or necks for working together. Right? You know that? Draft animals, yoke. One's on me, one's on someone else. If Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, and he's got a yoke, then I can get under that yoke too. Whew. I can be under the yoke with Jesus. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. If I can get under that yoke with Christ, ooh, baby, I got a maid. We all got a maid, don't we? Because he's going to carry that load. Because we're going to fail under the weight of it, but with Christ... We can walk freely. Letter B, part of the device, an arched device <clears throat> formerly laid on the neck of a defeated person. Mm, interesting. So Jesus 
is essentially asking us to join him, telling us that he will help us carry that load. And it's also indicative of our responsibility as Christians. We cannot simply lie in wait in the shadows and only come out when we go to church. Does your family know that you're a Christian? How about people at work? They know? How about supermarket people? How about the dude that cut you off in traffic? They know? The one that cut in line in the supermarket. The one who ain't social distancing in back of you, breathing on your neck. They know? Huh? The one who ain't wearing the mask. The one who is wearing the mask. The one who's talking about the mask. Huh? They know? How about the politicians? They know you're a Christian? How do they know? How do you live? We must be active in our role as followers of Christ. We've got to be joined with him. We can't be drug along. We can't be drug along. Walk with Christ. Walk with Christ. Don't be drug along by the neck. Christ going, you're just like, you know, getting drug along in that yoke on the other side. Walk with Christ, right? That's what we want to do. That's how people know that we're different. We've been cut from a different cloth. And that cloth, that cloth is the white linen of God. We've got to take up our cross, walk, and be one with Christ. Notice the second definition here. An arch device formerly laid on the neck of a defeated person. Now, in ancient Roman history... Oh, this is super interesting. We see what this is referring to. Listen to this about uh, uh, this little bit about a Roman dictator and his defeat of the Achaeans or Aquians or whatever you want to, however you want to pronounce that. I'm bad with like old pronunciations. I don't always look up how it's supposed to be pronounced. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Cincinnatus spared their lives, it says. I'm going to read a quote. This is from history. Cincinnatus spared their lives. This was the Roman dictator. But he made them pass under the yoke. The yoke was formed of two spears, so two spears, like this, stuck in the ground, fixed upright in the ground, and a third fastened across near the top from one to the other. Cincinnatus made the Achaeans lay down their arms and pass out every man of them under the yoke of the spears. They had to bend their heads as they did so. In, in pictures that I saw, it was people walking like this under the yoke okay they had to bend their heads as they did so for the spears were not very long and the one on the top was only a few feet from the ground the yoke was set up between two lines of roman soldiers and as the Achaeans passed under it the romans jeered at them and taunted them having to pass under the yoke was regarded as the greatest disgrace that could happen to soldiers Many much preferred to suffer death. The practice has given to our language the word subjugate, meaning to subdue or conquer from the Latin words sub, under, and jugum, or jugum, a yoke. Under a yoke. Subjugate. That is the yoke of the world. 
that wants you to bend your head and bow your head and be subjected to it in defeat. They want to jeer. They want to jeer at you. They want to egg you on. They want to taunt you. They want you to admit that you're wrong about your God. They want you to pass under that yoke, having to bend your head and go under it. Rather die than go under that yoke as the Roman soldiers were lined up on the right and on the left, passing through in humiliation, conquered, shamed. This is what the world wants. Jesus Christ comes up directly against that. And He says that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Because in Christ, church, we are not defeated. In fact, in Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are victorious because of who won the battle. Jesus is contrasting His yoke with all, also with that of the law of the Pharisees. Their yoke is burdensome, heavy, and they are crippled under the weight of it. But his, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And he also says in verse 29 that we should take his yoke and learn from him. Take his yoke and learn from him. Learn. We must learn to be in step with the Lord. We must learn what it means to walk with him and how to become gentle and lowly or humble in heart. There's, there's, there's nothing in the heart of the Lord that is heavier than what the world and the enemy will bring upon us. Now, to be sure, there will be some separation anxiety when we're making that decision to follow Jesus. Separation anxiety from the world, from the life that we once lived, and we will even go through that at times during the course of our Christian life. You have to let go of some things, give them over to God. And sometimes it's hard for us to let go, isn't it? It's hard for us to let go of those ways, those former ways of life that we once lived. It's hard for us to let go of certain things, situations, people, circumstances, jobs. It's hard for us to let go of things. It's hard for us to let go of the ways that we thought, the way that we believed. It's hard for us to let go of feelings that we have. Because we're led by feelings a lot of the time. We're led by emotions a lot of the time. It's hard to let go. There's some separation anxiety there. But I assure you that when you do let go and when you do give it to God, that He will give you rest. For some it takes longer than others, but the outcome couldn't be any more different for the two. If we, we think of taking the yoke of the Lord and walking with Him and it being a strong tug at first, He's letting us know that He is gentle and humble in heart. He's going to guide us along the way. He's going to guide us along until we are in step with Him. It may feel like a jostle sometimes, but I assure you, it is much easier than that of the world. Again, the outcome couldn't be any more different for those who take on the yoke of the law or the yoke of the world and those who take on the yoke of Jesus Christ. When we are in step with the Lord, in time, we will become like a draft horse. We're going to get worked out and we're going to become strong as we walk with Him. Y'all we will undoubtedly get to run with the Lord under His yoke. I've lived that life in the world. 
Many of us in here have. I've lived the hard life. And I can tell you with certainty that his yoke truly does feel easy in comparison to the world. The burden that he places on our hearts for each other and for him is light compared to the heaviness of the world and us trying to solve all of our own problems on our own. Why? How? Because the burdens that we feel for our own lives and for our families are lit with the light of Christ leading the way. We can see our way home to Him every single time. It's easy, it's light. Otherwise, we're just feeling along in the dark. But with the light of Christ, we can see. And the darkness is heavy. It's too heavy to bear. Jesus, during all of His discourses with us, is trying to convey to us that He is the ultimate friend and leader of mankind. Ultimate friend ultimate leader of mankind. He is the ultimate servant king. He will be right there with us every step of the way and He will never let us go. There should be a fire burning deep within our hearts so bright that we truly do become the light of the world just as He was the light who came into the world. And we used to have the yoke of slavery, doing what the world wanted because of our fear of people and our fear of not being liked, fear of not having friends, fear of not being accepted in social circles, fear of not having this person or that person in our lives, fear of what it means about us, fear because of what we think about ourselves, fear that we haven't accomplished enough. But with the yoke of Jesus Christ, we have an easy yoke of freedom that the Lord uses to guide us to that final resting place that can only be found in Him. He leads us. And He will never forsake us. And when we can come to this place of rest with the Lord, we can find a blessed assurance. We will know that we are His, and we will know assuredly, we will know with certainty that He is ours. And we can come to a place like the place of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, when, where when they got thrown into the fiery furnace, they did something remarkable. You remember this story from Daniel chapter 3. They didn't want to fall down and worship the, the, the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had made. You remember this? Now, when the king heard about this, he was furious. And he asked them in person, you know, they're, they're, in other words, the, the Bible says, so when you hear the lyre, the lyre or the harp, when you hear, you know, when you hear all these musical instruments, you're supposed to fall down and worship at these statues. And they, they, some people came to the king and says, hey, listen, there's these three guys. They ain't doing it. They ain't doing it. And the king, in his pride, is like, say, what? Oh, no, they're going to do it. I'm going to call them in, and we're going to see what they say when they're with me. So they come in, and he says, okay, I'm going to play some music. Y'all going to fall down and worship. And they say, oh, king, no, we will not. No, we will not. No, we will not. They say no again and again, and this time to his face. In fact, they say that even if he did throw them in there, because he says, I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace. Everyone who does not bow down and worship this statue, bow down and worship these, these gods, 
If you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they say, listen, even if you throw us into the fiery furnace, I know that my God will rescue me because I know that he can rescue me. But even if he doesn't, I still will never fall down and worship these statues. I will still never fall down and worship these false gods. This is what they say. And he's, oh, he's livid. So he orders his men to to get that furnace and and for it to be lit seven times hotter than normal. This fire is so hot that they bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They bound them together and they throw them into the fiery furnace. And the dudes that throw them into the fiery furnace are actually killed because of the heat. The people that throw them in are killed. They throw them into the furnace. And then right away, King Nebuchadnezzar says, wait a second. He sees them unbound in there. Didn't we throw in three? Yes, my king. Then why do I see a fourth in there with them, walking around in the furnace, one who looks like a son of the gods? Now tell me that doesn't give hope to your famished soul. That is a drink of water, a cold drink of water in the desert of this world. That even when the world wants you to subjugate under their yoke, even when they want you to walk in shame under something that they've built, that your God will never leave you and he will never forsake you because he will be with you. I like also this language that the Lord uses in that story says they were thrown in bound. When they get in there, they're with... This is a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ himself. The one who Nebuchadnezzar said looks like a son of the gods. The one who was in the furnace with them. When they're in there, all of a sudden they are unbound. They are thrown in bound to be burned. They are in there, not burned, protected and unbound. Because Christ frees his own. He frees you from the chains and the bondage of the world. When they get taken out, amazing, their hair isn't singed. They don't even smell like smoke. Y'all, I was barbecuing. I barbecued a couple times last week. I think I still smell like oak. I've taken a few showers since then. You know what I'm saying? That smoke smell, that's hard to get off. They didn't even smell like smoke. No hair singed. Nebuchadnezzar immediately, immediately says, anybody, anybody who curses their God will have to answer for it. And he was on his way to true belief because of what God had done. Don't you know that when God rescues you that it's a testimony to somebody else to believe? Don't you know that your life is a testimony to the person sitting next to you at work? Don't you know that your life is a testimony to your family? Don't you know that when the world tries to bind you up in bondage and subjugation to itself, that when you give your cares and your anxieties over to God, that when you give your life over to Him, that He will unbind you, He will the chains will be broken, they will be loosed. And even in the midst of the fire of the world, your hair won't be singed and you won't even smell like smoke. Because I'll tell you what, church, the fire of God is a different fire. You remember Moses in the burning bush. The Lord was in this bush. There was fire. And what 
Did it consume the bush? Did it burn the leaves and the branches, burn it down to the ground so that it had to grow back maybe the next year? No. Because the fire of the Lord is a different fire. It is the refiner's fire. God is with you in the fire, church. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And this story tells us what, Psalm, what the psalm that I read in the beginning told us. That God is a compassionate, gracious healer that will not harbor his anger and not always accuse as the enemy and the world do. And it tells us that he will forgive our sins and not punish us as we deserve. That is a different kind of teaching. That is different than the world. His yoke is easy, church. His burden is light. The world condemns. The world throws stones. But the Lord will tell us that we only need to give our life to Him and to come to Him to find our rest. The Lord will set us free because He does not yoke us with the yoke of slavery, but with the one of freedom. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So if you're struggling and cannot find peace by yourself, then I, I assure you that I understand and I assure you that I am with you. Come and give your life to Christ and be set free from the chains of the world because the fire and the yoke of the Lord are of a different kind and they will set you free. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We worship you this morning. Lord, please help us, Lord, to every day worship you in spirit and truth, not only in this place, but in every place. Lord, in our, in our vehicles, in, in our private place, in our private room, in our homes, Lord. Lord, in the shower, Lord, as we're getting dressed, Lord, as we're at the ironing board, Lord, as we are in our studies with you, God, as we are at work, when we have struggles, Lord, as we're in traffic, when we're at the store, when we're in conversations with people, Lord, everywhere. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. God, show us the truth so that we can know that as we worship in spirit, that that spiritual worship is true worship. God, help us never to separate the two. Help us never to think that we're worshiping in spirit, which is divorced from the truth, because those two things, Lord, we know they can't go together. Help us to understand this. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, oh God. Bless you, my God. Bless you, oh Lord. Oh, my soul and all that is within me. Praise be to your holy name, Lord. Help us, God. Come to our aid. Bind us together forever with you. Loosen the chains of this world, Lord, that hold us and drag us down. 
Help us to be free for eternity and to find rest in you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.